So as I said, we've got this theme of unsung heroes and we're going to hear all about Nympha this morning, but there's not very much that we know about her. If you've read the, the tiny little verse that's in the Bible that I put in the update, you'll know that. So we've got two main themes that are all around the idea of home this morning, which is why the doll's house is there and it says, welcome to our home. And the first one is the heart of your home. And we're going to think about Nympha and what was at the heart of her home. And we're going to think about what's at the heart of our homes. And then the second of the themes around homes and hearts is the home of your heart. So that's, with that, we're going to look at the story of the wise and the foolish builders. And we're going to think about what that teaches us about our hearts and the kind of home that we make of those. So first of all, Nympha and the heart of your home. I wonder what happens in the house that you call home. Children, what happens in your house that you call home? Who lives with you? Who's present? Who comes round often? What do you do in your house? Well, Nympha had a church in her home. It wasn't like this, um, but it was a church nonetheless. This is the only little bit of information that we know about Nympha, and it's in Colossians 4. It says this, Give my greetings to the brothers and sisters at Laodicea, and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read to the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. The only thing that we know about Nympha is that she had a church in her house. But maybe we actually know a little bit more. So I've recently been reading a blog by someone called Rachel Held Evans. She's sadly died now, but all of her blogs are still available online. And she wrote a story that she thought might describe Nympha's church using historical research that she'd done um, and also some knowledge of New Testament churches that she had. And this is the story that she told of Nympha's church. The sun has set over a chilly Laodicea, but Nympha's home is warm with lamplight and hums with the welcoming sound of stifled laughter and whispered conversation. As soon as Drusilla and I slip through the door together, we can sense that something is stirring. There is news. My mother-in-law asks her friends, all of them also widows, what has happened. Tychicus remember him, has arrived from Colossae, they say, with a letter from Paul. I'm happy because this means I will get to listen to Nympha read. It mesmerizes me every time. The way she enunciates every syllable carefully, gently, sometimes pausing to explain the meaning of the more difficult words or ideas, or to laugh forgivingly when one of the children decides to throw a tantrum. Oh, wouldn't happen here, would it? We're mostly women, widows, slaves, and poor laborers, unable to read the letters from the apostles on our own. Though many among us are a few wealthy tradesmen, the owners of sprawling households, <clears throat> it's strange to see us all sitting together at our sacred meal, master breaking bread with his slave, a Jew sharing a joke with a former pagan priest, a husband pouring wine for his wife, a zealot debating politics with a tax collector, but this is what makes us different. It's what makes us Christians. Nympha and her husband are wealthy traders, both of them followers of Jesus. 
but he travels so much, she usually manages our ecclesia, our gathering on her own. We are known to Paul as the church that meets in Nympha's home. It's a beautiful letter, and tears run down my face as Paul, through Nympha, speaks of our reputation among the churches. Nympha smiles as her voice carries the words. We have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all God's people. As she continues to read, we hear about Paul's imprisonment and persecution, about how Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation, about watching out for false teachings that have circulated through the trade routes, and about how we ought to stop judging each other over differences of opinion regarding religious festivals and food. I blush a little at this point, resolved to make peace with some, other, some rather opinionated friends before the next sacred meal. About how we should clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience and love. And how we must forgive one another. About the things that once separated Jew from Greek and slave from free are broken down at the foot of the cross. About how we should sing more hymns. Drusilla smiles wide at that last one. But then I find myself catching my breath as Nympha reads out loud that we need not fear the government because Jesus has disarmed the powers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. A nervous murmur fills the room. What if someone overheard? That quote could certainly be taken out of context by a passing Roman soldier. I catch Tychicus glancing nervously out of the window. But then my surprise gives way to revelation. I've never thought about it that way. Christ's death at the hands of the government represented as a sort of subversive triumph over it. His obedience in humbling himself, in loving his enemies, caring for the poor welcoming the marginalised and turning away from violence made a mockery of this opulent, bloodthirsty and oppressive empire. He refused to play by their rules and yet he broke none of their laws. He didn't fight them, he disarmed them. I wonder if that's what we're supposed to do too. That's the end of Rachel's story, Rachel's version of what Nympha's church might have been like when they were listening to the letter to the Colossians that was also taken to her house. So Nympha, Nympha welcomed local believers into her home. The church that meets in Nympha's house was almost certainly a gathering of believers who broke bread They ate together and they took communion. They remembered Jesus, as we do, with bread and wine. They worshipped together and they listened to the teachings of the apostles and to the gospels brought to them by travellers like Tychicus. We can safely assume that Nympha was wealthy, probably a businesswoman. She had a house large enough, maybe a bit like that one, maybe not, to accommodate a gathering and food enough to feed them all. She used her home to welcome others. As we begin our adventure at Mali as a family, I identify a little bit with Nympha. Will we be the kind of home that welcomes others who begin to explore and experience the love that Jesus showed us within his death on the cross? Just those few words that we've read in Colossians describe who Nympha was. They challenge me about who I am 
and how we as a family live out our lives at Marley with our home dedicated to loving God and loving people. But hosting church gatherings in your home is not everyone's calling or gift. So what about others? What does the story of Nympha and the church in her house have to teach all of us? To have a church gathering in her home, Nympha must have been living according to a set of particular priorities. And those are these. Putting Jesus first in her own life, setting an example, and creating a place of welcome. And whilst whilst I carry on talking to the adults, the children have got an important job to do. So your box of bricks that you like to play with is at the back, but we've stuck various pictures and words to them. And what you're going to do is you're going to build houses that might help to welcome people who want to get to know Jesus. So you're going to have to look at the words or the pictures and use them to help you. Here's a big clue. You probably don't want to use these colour bricks. You probably do want to use these colour. So if you want to come and get these, you'll need them. Cool. Come and get those. That's it. And you can build at the back there. So those bricks that the children are collecting and that they've got at the back there in the box have some of the concepts and some of the ideas that we're going to be thinking about as I speak to you now. So first of all, Nympha was putting Jesus first in her own life. In Colossians 1, verses 15 to 23, we read this. And I've realised that I haven't looked it up, so let me just find it quickly. Sorry about this. Slight delay. Colossians 1, 15 to 23. Here we go. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. He's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. Once you were alienated from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy in his sight, without blemish and free from accusation. If you continue in your faith, established and firm, and do not move from the hope held out in the gospel, this is the gospel that you heard and that has been proclaimed to every creature under heaven and of which I, Paul, have become a servant. So as Nympha heard these words written by Paul, read out to her um, in her church, circulated to the other churches in her region, I imagine that she once again laid down her own life. She let Jesus take the place of being before all things. She submitted to the idea that in him all things hold together. I imagine that hosting a church gathering in your household every week is a busy job for a woman. 
Ladies, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Okay. So that was a fairly traditional culture where women probably would have been responsible for preparing food, for sourcing food, for thinking about all of those different things. And she would have had help with that. But actually, it was a sacrifice. And to be able to do that, to be ready for welcoming those people every week, Jesus had to be her waking thought first thing in the morning. He had to be her last thought before going to sleep at night and every moment in between, both consciously and unconsciously. And I believe that that can only come from a deep life of prayer, time spent at length, quiet before God, listening for his voice, letting his love transform a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. Not those snatched moments of prayer that we all are so fond of in between rushing around day-to-day tasks filled with life and busyness, but a slower pace, an unhurried speed of the Holy Spirit type of life, which enables space for God's voice to be heard. Nympha put Jesus first. And the second thing that she did was that she set an example And we read about this in Colossians 3. So as Nympha heard these words, perhaps, verses 12 to 14. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Nympha knew from Paul's letter to the Colossians, which was also read and studied at Laodicea, that real Christian love, like we talked about last week with Tychicus, the the dear brother, is a love that is compassionate. It's a love that's kind. It's a love that's humble and gentle and patient. It bears with one another's failings and forgives when mistakes are made. Nympha and the church in her house were learning that there is a high standard when it comes to followers of Jesus. We're to set an example to others by loving one another well and forgiving one another's mistakes. Tough. (laughs) It's a tough lesson. But as we learned last week, we can't do this on our own with our own feeble attempts at love. We very quickly run out of steam, don't we, and let one another down. The only way we manage to love one another is to know deep in our hearts that God loves us first and to allow that love to transform us into his likeness. And then we're safe to set an example. And the third thing that Nympha did was that she created a place of welcome. 1 Peter 4 verse 9 says, offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. (laughs) Who cowers when they hear those words? I do, I do, let's be honest. Sometimes we can get really grumpy, can't we, about having to look out for other people. But Nympha offered hospitality Um, probably in her large home, so that the believers in her town could worship together, so that they could break bread together. And in creating this community, Nympha created welcome, friendship, hospitality. 
And that could have been at a potential major cost to her family and her household. Although that story that I read earlier of Nymphas House and Nymphas Church was a dramatization of what the church might have been like, it's based on hard historical fact about how the Roman authorities treated followers of Jesus in the, in the empire. Nympha was at risk of being arrested. She was at risk of being imprisoned or worse by Roman authorities. And it would have been understandable if the believers at Laodicea or Colossae or anywhere else were a bit grumbly about having to um, have one another round or care for one another, care for the widows in their community. But this letter that Peter wrote encourages all believers to share lives in this way without grumbling, no matter what. The circumstances, sorry. Papers are muddled. When our lives are busy or challenging, it can be difficult to open our homes. It can be difficult to open our lives in other ways to welcome others. It can be a bit costly to spend time with other people when all we want to do is to be on our own. But when we look at the example that Jesus set for us in this area, we can see that he welcomed those who trusted him and he welcomed strangers alike. Think about Mary and Martha and the friendship that he had with them. But then also think about Zacchaeus, who climbed up the tree. Jesus didn't know him, or he didn't know Jesus, and he wasn't someone who necessarily was really seeking Jesus. But Jesus welcomed those different types of people. He was also an expert at getting himself invited around to other people's houses, but that's, a, that's maybe a, an idea for another day. Have a little think about how you've built your home. The children can have a little think about how they've built their homes as well. I wonder, is it a place where Jesus comes first? Is it a place where prayer and reading the Bible is a main priority? Is it a place where the Holy Spirit leads your interaction and activity? Is your home and your life one that sets an example to others? Is it one which shares love which is evidenced in compassion and kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, and forgiveness. A home and a life which is open to others, where others feel welcome and like they belong. I wonder if you'll make this your motto in the coming weeks and months. Joshua 24 verse 15 says, But as for me and my household... We will serve the Lord. And we can do this in small ways and we can do it in large ways. But it begins in our openness to Jesus. So as the children finish building their houses um, and choosing which bricks, we're going to sing two songs together. First of all, we're going to sing Lord Reign in Me, which is a song all about putting Jesus first. And then we're going to sing Your Grace is Enough, because actually... In putting Jesus first, it's a constant battle, isn't it, between our own will and his. But we know that Jesus' grace is enough. Okay, so this is the story of the house on the rock. It's a story that you might already know. Here's a man. He's looking for a place to build a house. He climbs to the top of a big grey rock. Ah, he says, here is a good place. 
The man begins to build the house. It is hard work. He puffs and pants. Can you see him? Look, he's getting really hot and sweaty. He puffs and he pants and grunts and groans all day until the work is done. Just in time, he says, it looks like rain. The rain pours down, the lightning flashes, the thunder booms. The water washes round the, rock, round the house and splashes at the rock. The rock stays firm. The man was wise to choose the rock. Here's another man. He wants to build a house. I want it now. I want it quick. This place will do, he says. Uh-oh. Oh, that wasn't a very kind way to talk, was it, Jonas? You're right. He builds his house down on the sand. This won't take long, he says. And he whistles as he works. His house is done. He goes inside and shuts the door. A raindrop drips onto his nose. Oh dear. The rain pours down. The lightning flashes. The thunder booms. The water rushes through the house and splashes at his knees. The sand is washed away. His house falls flat. The silly man was wrong to build his house on the sand. Jesus says, I am like the wise man's rock. If you trust me, I'll never let you down. Thank you for listening. You can go and sit down over there again now. So I've already said that our hearts are a little bit like homes that we cultivate and we build on a foundation that we create. And the children are going to spend some time now creating some heart homes if they want to. It's the activity that's on the table. They're going to help them think about that. And we're going to think about the home of our hearts. I read this quote the other day by John Mark Comer who writes about discipleship. He says... If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then we are being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. Let me read that again. If we're not being intentionally formed by Jesus himself, then we're being unintentionally formed by someone or something else. I wonder who or what is discipling you or me? What's the foundation that you are building your life upon? We talked earlier, didn't we, about Nympha using her house to serve God by gathering the church in her home. And we learned that she, to do this, she lived by three priorities, the first of which was putting Jesus first in her own life. I wonder what takes first place in our hearts. As the churches at Colossae and Lydia, Laodicea, sorry, heard Paul's letter read aloud to them, I wonder what they made of Colossians 3 verses 1 to 4. 
Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will also appear with him in glory. I wonder, are you a wise or foolish builder? We're called to live as those who are raised with Christ. We're to set the priorities of our hearts on Jesus and seek his kingdom first. And we're to put to death our earthly nature. If we live as those who are raised with Christ, that means asking for his resurrection power to be at work in our hearts every day. We sang the song earlier, didn't we, Living Hope, about Jesus' buried body beginning to breathe. I love that line. Because in my head, I imagine his body lying in the tomb, and then all of a sudden, <gasps> he takes a breath. That's resurrection power. That's the same resurrection power that is alive in us daily. Daily. And that means an active daily submission to him as Lord of our lives. We come to him in prayer and we say, you're in charge of my life, not me. I once heard someone say that they became a Christian every day of their life. I think that's right. We become a Christian every day by putting Jesus first. And then we set the priorities of our hearts on his kingdom so that when we pray and we speak and we act, we're doing so in line with our Father's will, putting his kingdom first, putting him first in our lives so that our priorities flow out of that act of submission. And then finally, we put to death our earthly nature. And you'll have to read the rest of the verse and that chapter that we just read from Colossians to uh, Colossians 3 to know more about that. It's not something that I would explore with children around, but we all know the temptation to spend our lives on our own comfort, our own entertainment, making life good for ourselves. Jesus knew that temptation too. He was tempted in the wilderness, wasn't he, by food, power, other things. And how did he come back to those temptations? He used scripture. Building our, the house of our hearts on the strong foundation of a relationship with Jesus isn't so different to using our homes as Nympha did, as places dedicated to God, welcoming others and loving them well. We dedicate our homes to God and we use those and we dedicate our hearts, the home of our heart to God, asking him to use that too, to transform it. And I think our challenge today is will we be like that unsung hero, Nympha, building our lives on Jesus the rock and using our homes to welcome others, sharing the love of Jesus that we found with one another? <laughs>